eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 17 weeks, 4 quarters, 60 minutes, and it all leads up to one Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Winning Drive podcast. I am Rita Hubbard, the NFL chick, co-host of the Glenn and Rita show on 105.7 The Fan on Sundays at 1. Here with my guy Cordell Woodland from Shaking It Up Sports, as well as the Ravens reporter for 105.7 The Fan. And we saw the documentary Uh, Bullies of Baltimore premiere on ESPN um, on Sunday night after the uh, basketball game. And um, somebody made a joke, Cordell, because that Knicks game had like went over Mm -hmm. the time it was supposed to. And somebody said this is probably the most um, Baltimore people watched Knicks game (laughs) all year long, because obviously everybody was waiting for the opportunity, you know, for the the documentary to come on, which didn't come on till about nine o'clock. But it was two hours and it was very well done. It was, I really felt like it was very well done. Um, I'll tell you my thoughts on it. I'll elaborate, but from, I know that you're, you know, a, a, a guy from Washington. I know that's down the street, but obviously at that time you had your own allegiance um, with uh, rooting for the then Redskins. So um when you see that documentary, what did you gain from watching that? Um, just a, a a better insight into the personalities on that team. Uh, you know, I think surface level, we knew that there were some big personalities on there. You had guys like Ray, Tony Saragusa, Shannon Sharp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you knew that there were guys on that team that, you know, uh, had a loud mouth and they were going to let you hear whatever it was that was on their mind and they would back it up on the field. That was the best part about them. Um, And I'm all for trash talking. I'm a big trash talker in sports. I think it's needed in sports. I'm a, I'm, I'm may, I, I may not seem like it, but I'm competitive as all outdoors. I hate to lose. And I've always been that guy that gets up, you know, the trash talking gets me up. You know what I'm saying? So I enjoy watching the greats do a lot of talking and then go on the field. And then, I mean, they're backing it up 10 times more. So uh, that was something that was great to see. And I wanted to know, I think we talked about it on the last episode, or maybe I talked about it on my show, but 
you know, there's a with all the personalities, strong personalities on that team, I would just was amazed at how Brian Billick was able to, you know, coach with that, to make it to turn that energy into a positive and then yeah. watch the documentary, you get a better, at least for me, I got a better insight onto the type of guy that Brian Billick was and his personality might have might have been just as big as theirs. You know what I'm saying? And that that's why he was able to, I don't want to say contain those personalities, but he knew how to manage them uh, better to make it so that it wasn't a distraction. Um, but, you know, uh, a lot of people forget about the rivalry between the Ravens and the Titans back then. I definitely didn't. Um, you know, I think about that rivalry as kind of the way I think about the Ravens Steelers rivalry and how physical that can be. It was yeah. just physical back then. And that yep. Titans team that year, people forget the Titans were the actual number one defense in the league. In total in yards, which I don't, buy. Yards, I, don't, right, right. I don't even buy. I don't believe in that stat Points. to me, but yes, you're right. Yeah. In total yards, they were the number one defense. I, I mean, in points wise, I believe that it was still Baltimore. Uh, that was up there because I think the Ravens only averaged on a total uh, throughout the season. I think it was like a little over 10 points a game. Yeah. So the Ravens might've been like number one in points, but I only brought that up just to say that the Titans were, you know, that team that was just as physical as they right. were. And I think right. Ray even said that in a documentary, I mean, even offensively, Eddie George was one of the more, you know, physical running backs in the league at that time. And you forget how big of a bat, uh, Eddie George was but watching some of those highlights you remember um, and just some of the collisions he and Ray used to have man it, it just really brought back a lot of memories so uh, definitely enjoyed a lot of it definitely enjoyed Tony Saragusa I mean he just really took over the documentary I think uh, I'm sure I'm sure they did and I know they did because I heard of some of the interviews with the uh, directors and producers of the documentary that they altered it a little bit after Sarah Goose's passing to really highlight him. But I mean, he made it easy for them. Every clip he's in, every time he's talking, he's dominating the screen. Um, so it was great to see him uh, out there. I love some of the stories uh, that, that were told and, you know, Greg Williams being identified as the thief that took Trent Dilfer's playbook. I mean, it, <laughs> it goes right <laughs> along with what we already know about. I mean, right. this is a guy that was a part of Bounty Gate, and now he's, you know, it comes out that he stole a playbook. It's, it would, there's no, li there's no limit to how low Greg Williams will go, obviously. <laughs> uh, and it didn't even work for them. I mean, and I remember the Giants that, I know the Giants very well back then, you know, being in the NFC East, and they, you know, Kerry Collins and those guys, they used to have their moments, Tiki Barber, for sure, one of the best running backs in the league at that time. Uh, you know, that defense led by Jason Seahorn and Michael Strahan and those guys. I mean, you know, they definitely had some players out there, uh, but the Giants weren't. They, they weren't that. So to hear Marvin Lewis say, you know, watching the film that he knew that they were going to kill them, I, I can believe <laughs> that because you, you really never knew what Giants team you were going to get at that time. But I, I definitely enjoyed uh, the documentary. Um, and I felt like I got a better grasp on the, on the type of team that 2000 team was. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I was astounded when the Giants beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship game because the Vikings were so good. I mean, they had, uh, I believe, Dante Culpepper at that time, Randy Moss. I mean, they had guys. And so I could not – I was stunned 
that they did not even score like a field goal in that championship game. So I, cause I was completely comp- uh, prepared for this to be an all purple Super Bowl that year. And obviously that didn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt no, no concern about the Giants. I'm not going to even lie to you. Like I was like, yeah, that's probably going to be a, a, a cake, a cakewalk. And for, for Marvin Lewis to say that basically, and was like, oh yeah, we're going to kill these guys when he found out, you know, who they were going to play. It just further confirmed like, okay, that, 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 that was crazy to me that the Giants ended up there. Um, but ultimately, you know, it was a, a more so of a reminiscence thing to me. You know, I obviously I remember so much about that season. Um, the goof on the roof, you know, the guy that um, stood uh, on his roof or, or stayed on his roof for all those games, said he wasn't coming down until the Ravens scored an offensive touchdown. It took him a long time to get there. I know he wasn't – I know he probably wasn't the, the most uh, smelling good guy at that <laughs> point because it had been weeks since yeah. he had been up there. But he finally came down, uh, you know, five weeks later. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I mean, that that right there had to be, if you're on the team and you're thinking about that and you see this guy still on his roof yeah. for over a month, you're like, bruh, that is, this is bad. This this yeah. is, you know, because now it's obviously the the fans of Baltimore are already watching the games. They're already seeing you struggle. But then when you got a guy literally, you know, having your struggles impact his daily life and you got to see it. <laughs> on an everyday basis. Cause I'm pretty, I wasn't even in Baltimore at the time, but I could just imagine how the media was probably amplifying that oh, whole thing. Absolutely. They it's did. Like, absolutely. Like they would check on him avoid. regularly. Yeah. Every, I think, I think uh, magic 95.9, the radio station, um, which is uh, like urban old school radio, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the demographic, the demographic is completely different from like what we have going on from what it's not even a sports station every day had an update of this guy (laughs) to see what was going on. That's how invested this town was into seeing what was going on with the goof on the roof. Right. And so that was, that was hilarious. One of the things I think that I, I didn't love was, and I understand it was two hours. You had to, you had to put a lot of information in that, but um, we, we, we really just saw Trent Dilfer come in, but we didn't, the, the story of Tony Banks wasn't really told. He just was like, I know Tony Banks, this is probably going to sever our relationship. Yeah. But like, tell the story because, you know, Tony Banks had a really high, high, mm-hmm. and that was week two against the Jaguars where they came back and beat them and. In a in a close, I mean, but the Jaguars, I believe, had scored thirty two points. Nobody had scored like that again after right. the Jaguars that whole season. But they didn't tell the the, the story of how we got the train. I mean, we know that that I, clearly Tony Banks wasn't wasn't doing well, and they showed the game where he threw the picks, and eventually Trent Dilfer comes in. But you know, the there's a reason why Tony continued to be the starter is because he had I think four or five touchdowns in that week two game against the Jaguars. So you really, the the ascension of Tony Banks and then the decline was really fast. And mm-hmm. that's a story to me that, I mean, I'm not saying that it needed like um, 20 minutes, but you could have, you could have showed how you really thought that this guy was going to 
uplift his team and be the guy. And then he just, it just fizzled out like really quickly. So that was like something to me I found to be important that was omitted um, in the storyline. But um, ultimately, I think that the story was told, you know, pretty well um, after that. And you're, I love the, you're not the only one that was upset about the Banks issue. Yeah. Like, getting, you know, gone more in depth. I had a couple people hit me up on Twitter and stuff, say the same thing right afterwards. Like they had wished that they had went into more detail into that week two game against the Jaguars. And, you know, and I'm I got to tell you, I'm kind of foreign to the backstory. Of, right of all of that. Um, so yeah, that would have been great to hear. I mean, it was cool to hear, I guess the, the sound, the, the sideline conversation with Billick and him telling Tony Banks, like, you know, we're going to go to uh, Trent and give Trent a shot and see what he could do here. And you could clear, clearly see Tony Banks was not happy uh, when he told him that, but yeah, I, I'd have loved to find out more um, about the, the rise of Tony Banks and, you know, to see how fast that, that fall was. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, it really was. I mean, and and so, you know, they were like, I, I feel like we didn't like hear a lot from like Rod Woodson a lot, which mm -hmm. is very odd because yeah. Rod Woodson is a... That's what I'm going to say all the time. He's a media figure at this point, right? right. He literally is the Ravens um, color guy now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know why he didn't get more of a stage in that regard. Yeah. Um, Matt Stover is another guy I mm -hmm. think that could have gotten more right. because he was the one scoring the points when they weren't scoring touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to hear from him a little bit more, um, and so I'm not, I'm not nitpicking, even though it does feel like that that's what I'm doing. And I could see how that could be perceived. So I'm just saying well, that I think these are things that were missing in that documentary. Yeah. And I, I said this, I think a couple of times too, it's like, this is, I love documentaries, but I have a love hate with documentaries. When I know about the subject, I yep. find myself being very hard on the documentary. That's a good point. I think back to the 30 for 30 that they did on Bruce Lee. I'm a Bruce Lee nerd. You know what I'm saying? I've watched every Bruce Lee movie there is probably a, probably like 30 times uh, <laughs> in my life. And I know a lot about the Bruce Lee story. And I felt like when I watched it, I didn't get anything new. And I didn't get some of the stories that I really wanted to uh, know about. So, I mean, I, I just think that's a natural thing when it comes to documentaries. But you're right. I hadn't even thought about the fact that there were other people that I would have liked to hear from Matt Stover is a good one for sure, because, you know, during those, that five week stretch where they're not scoring touchdowns, this guy outside of the defense scoring occasionally is there was their prime, you know, uh, point score uh, at the time. So um, definitely would have liked to hear from him. I would have, I, I did feel like a couple of times that they, they kept the, they kept the gloves on a little bit. Um, yeah. Especially, when talking about the offensive struggles from the defensive standpoint, I would imagine that it was a little more colorful 
uh, in the locker rooms and stuff at that time with what they were saying than what they passed on to us in the documentary. Now, I'm not expecting Ray Lewis to come out and say that they were going, you know, and practicing telling the offense how much they suck every day or something like that. <laughs> I, I feel like there was some, you know, some real conversations and some real tension probably at that time um, that we didn't really get privy to. I mean, it's, it's over 20 years later. You might as well let it all out. Uh, and I do think that they did tell, I mean, Sarah Goosa was uncensored, I think, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that they did open up, but there's always more you can, you can share. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they had a game plan going in on how much they're going to put out there and, and how much they're going to keep for their own uh, conversations. I always attest to the fact, Cordell, that I believe that they probably, there probably wasn't that much attention as you thought because they had Shannon Sharp on their side of offense mm -hmm. and wasn't nobody really That's like true. Shannon wasn't going to let you like yeah. talk down on, on his, look, he, he knew the group he was dealing with, but at the same time, those are his guys, right? right? And so he was just as much of a personality as the other guys on the other side. So do I think that they, that they said some things? Sure. But I also think that, you know, Shannon Sharp probably was like the guy that they was like, all right, we ain't, we ain't trying to get into no no arguing match with Shannon because right. we know Shannon got work. He can he got bars, okay? Right. <laughs> he can for moments like that, and I, right? And I think Shannon did a good job even – when talking to the media of holding the offense accountable, he wasn't delusional. You know, he was uh, some of the clips that they put in the documentary of him talking post game and talking about the offensive struggles. He was, he was pretty blunt a couple of times. So I think that helped that he would publicly, you know, hold the offense accountable. Whereas <laughs> you look in today's game and you got guys like Zach Wilson, when the offense stinks and he's like, yeah, I don't, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't think I was uh, that I that I failed the team or anything like that. That that's where you get that locker room friction. So I do think that that helped a little bit. Absolutely. So it was really good. Um, I I enjoyed it. Um, and that, uh, lastly, I'm sorry. I I, I didn't want to go through this without mentioning what Trent Dilfer said as well. Oh, go uh, ahead. Uh, about the quarterbacks, I'm a little mixed on that because I, I I I get what he's saying. Um, about the game being different and the game being uh, made now for the offense. They want the points to light up the scoreboard. They want to see fast pace. They want to see the ball thrown all over the field. So I totally get what he's saying um, in terms of the game not being played the way it was back then. And it's easier for quarterbacks to put up these godly numbers now. Um, but it, I, I maybe for me, I would have liked to hear that from somebody else. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority and I'm sure Ravens fans probably. I'm sure you're not. That, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, if it was, you know, somebody else that was actually, you know, doing a little more, if it was Steve McNair or somebody like that from back then, then okay. I, I could, I could take it a little more, but it's, I just don't think that message should have came from Trent. That, that's um, kind of where I'm at. I also didn't like the specific name calling, particularly yeah, Tom yeah, Brady, who yeah, the yeah. league changed the rules because of Tom Brady. So Tom right. Brady had, had was literally in both eras. He's been, he's been wow. in the quote unquote old school era where he was mm -hmm. allowed to get beat up on. And then he's been in the post old school era, the, the newer era. And it's because of him that they've changed the rules because he got his knee blown out in 2008. Mm -hmm. 
um, and, and that first week. So I, I didn't like that at all. Um, you know, Brady isn't a, Brady ain't that far off in the same era as Trent Dilfer, right. uh, ironically. So you, I didn't understand the, the point of calling out guys specifically. And those guys are worlds better than you. They're both going to be first Hall of Famers. So I, I, I just don't even understand why you would even have to say names. All you had to do was say, I don't like the new school rules because old school back in the day was tough. We would have understood. And then, then you went off and named names, and that's where the disconnect begins because yeah. it was very unnecessary. And the names but, he named it was like, <laughs> I mean, you're you're shooting for the stars right, right now. Like, what? I, I mean, I would have appreciated more some some C class quarterbacks, but he shot all the way up to you know to Brady and those guys. I'm like, uh, or even a guy like Cam who runs right, right. who who does get impact. Yeah, Cam, Cam Cam took plenty of punishment. Granted, that was his style of play. And didn't you know, get calls but, for it, right. too. Exactly. Ex so, I mean, the, right, Lamar doesn't even get calls. And that's even when he's in the pocket, he doesn't yep. he doesn't get calls. So I, I just I just thought I that that if that's the message that if, if somebody was gonna say it, I, I I wish it was a quarterback that wasn't Trent Delphi. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. So if you haven't had the opportunity, I think you can go on ESPN Plus and watch the Bullies of Baltimore. You can also see the uncensored version as well on ESPN Plus. I'm sure they'll replay it again because we're in the part of the, the year where, you know, basketball is, is pretty mm -hmm. much on and, you know, they need the content. So they'll be airing it again and you'll be able to see it if you missed it the first time.